I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, welcome to the Rolling Thunder Review. I'm your host, Ben Mertens from Oklahoma City. Joining me on the airline, we have Anthony Pooch. Yo, from Nets Daily. What's up, man? Ben, thanks for having me on. Excited to talk Nets OKC. I'm excited as well, man. You must be excited uh, to be covering a Nets team that is actually playing meaningful basketball into March and is headed for the playoffs. Uh, 28 and 54 last year. This year, currently six in the East. How has this turnaround happened? Ben, it's it's just been one incredible ride. I mean, you talk about from when Kenny Atkinson and Sean Marks first took over. Um, they really had no tradable assets. They had no draft picks. Uh, very little money to spend. So um, you bring in a guy like Kenny Atkinson, somebody that, that instills a culture. Sean Marks hires the right people to help instill this culture. And and it really it starts from the top and goes down. And, and just between them scouting, scouting the right players, picking up the right players, making the right trades, and, and bringing in people, not just talented players, but uh, high-character, culture-fit guys. So, you know, now – they assembled this team, despite starting from nothing, having a crappy hand dealt to them when Billy King left, and uh, they really, they've really built their own identity. And and I think that's the biggest case with them is that no matter what, they're always going to play hard, no matter what their record is. And and really, that's that's finally led to results. You know, they're 36 and 33 right now. Yeah, I thought you know obviously. Atkinson and Marks were dealt pretty much the worst hand imaginable by the previous administration where they, you know, took over this team that had traded all of its draft picks to get the corpse of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, who then promptly left and, you know, weren't missed because they were quite old at that point. This team that just, like you said, had no assets on top of that and bad contract situations. And from there, they just made all the right moves for a team in that situation. They took, you know, the shots they could on guys who had been kind of cast off by their teams, right? So D'Angelo Russell was a success bringing him in. They also took a shot on a guy like Jules Okafor, which wasn't a success, but they were always looking for those kind of moves. They found guys like Karis LeVert and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson low in the draft. Um, and now suddenly they have this team where all the players, A, like fit the system that they want to play. They shoot a lot of threes. They play fast. They move the ball really well. And B, they don't have, you know... Even though they don't have a superstar, they've been able to uh, play at a level of a team that, like, their closest competition in the East are teams like, you know, the Detroit Pistons, who do have a superstar. The Charlotte Hornets are notably worse than them, who do have a superstar. And yet, without a superstar, the Nets are in this, have a winning record, are playoff bound, um, unless you want to count D'Angelo Russell as a superstar who was an all-star this year. So I guess let's start with D'Angelo. What have you thought about his season this year? Um, just just mentally bought in. Uh... You know, it was finally the first time in, I think, five years in his basketball playing career, and that goes back to college, in which he's had a coach for two consecutive seasons. So I think just kind of understanding and having continuity, buying into the culture, like I mentioned, understanding that, uh, you know, this is a team-first identity, you know, check your ego at the door type thing. So uh, he bought in, he became a leader, and, you know, look, I- I'll tell you, Ben, you know, early in the season, it wasn't easy for him. He was getting benched a lot in the fourth quarter because Spencer Dinwiddie was playing better than him or 
Karis LeVert was playing better than him. And it was something that he really had to overcome. And, and for me personally, I believe that it was a mental test from Kenny Atkinson to him to see how he dealt with that adversity. And, and like I said, he overcame it. He stayed persistent. Some injuries happened and, and his opportunity came and he really, he's, he's made the most of it, obviously becoming an all-star and, and obviously a most improved candidate right now. I think he is a testament to that culture that you talked about earlier, right? This is a guy who came into the Nets from that Lakers situation that ended quite poorly for him, and he might not have had the reputation of a guy who's going to buy into this team-first mentality, and the Nets got him to, which is a credit you know, to him, D'Angelo Russell, but also to Sean Marks, to Kenny Atkinson, to the organization they've built, to the team they've built. And now, by buying in, he's had the best success of his career. He's going to get a nice contract this summer, well-earned. Um, and he's playing like the all-star that I think the Lakers thought they were getting when they drafted him. Didn't think he was when they got rid of him, and the Nets have turned him right around and made him into a great player. What do you see as, as his future? Is he going to be? Are the Nets going to pay up this summer for him? Do you think he's the guy they want to build around, or is that someone else on this team, or someone who's not on the team yet? Ben, I, I just can't see how they don't. Um, I, you know, he's done everything that they've asked from him and, and mm-hmm. even more so he's exceeded expectations and he's still only 23 years old. So, you know, you have this kid who, who is really, you could argue that he's a top 10 point guard in the NBA right now, obviously on the rise. I mentioned he's only 23 years old. He's become a leader. He's bought into the culture. I think that they're going to keep him long term, but you know, they're going to, they're going to have to probably bite the bullet and, and, and match a contract because he is a restricted free agent. And, you know, Sean Marks is, is known for doing that. The other teams having, having done yes. that with the offer sheets to Alan Crabb, Tyler Johnson, you know, Donatus Montiunis. Otto uh, Porter too, Otto right? Otto Porter, yeah. So I think that if you look at a team like Phoenix who needs a point guard, um, any, I mean, anybody with <coughs> with uh, uh, any money, any, any cash space, they're going to throw something at D'Angelo if they need a point guard, and I think that the Nets are going to have a have a little, you know, have some have some good decisions on their hands. You know, it's it's it's, it's refreshing yeah. to see yeah. that. Like, it, finally, they have a good decision to make. It's 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 all right. Do we want to chase the coveted free agents such as Kyrie, or do we want to build around the young core that has already shown that you know they're capable of winning basketball games? I think they're in a good spot where they, they might, you know, they're in New York City and they have a good team and a good coach who's respected and are going to be a playoff team. They'll be a potentially attractive destination for a free agent, but if they strike out on any of the big names, I think they can feel pretty good about coming back with this roster of all these talented young players and say, hey, let's just keep building with what we have and see what we can do from here. But dreaming big for a second, what a free agent out there this summer do you think would just be the perfect fit for the Nets if they could get that guy in the door? I, I look. I think that they're a threat to get anybody, and and mm-hmm. I just think because given the Knicks incompetence, even and even the Lakers incompetence, <laughs> you know the Nets are really the only team in New York right now that have shown that um, they they have all the aspects of of a team that you want to join. You know, and it goes beyond just you know being in a New York City uh, market and 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 playing in these the new brand new Barclays Center and brand new practice facility. More so that you know. Like I mentioned before, competence in the front office, um, player development staff and the coaching staff shows that they really care about you and they want to get you better. So, I mean, I think they're players for anybody. So, you know, obviously, if I'm going to say, you know, it's going to be Kevin Durant or a Kawhi Leonard. And, and, and those are just the obvious choices. But, you know, if you if you want to talk about superstars, I think Kawhi is probably the perfect player, not only 
for his on-court production, but also the way he handles himself off the court. He kind of has that, again, you know, check your ego at the door, team player type mentality. Um, he's not a big social media guy. He's not somebody that's going to the media and getting in trouble. And and they really value that. You know, I mentioned earlier before that that they really like these high character guys. And I think I think Kawhi fits that script. You know, everything they've tried to emulate with this culture comes from San Antonio, and 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 that's that's what Kawhi Leonard is really. San Antonio through and through, even after he left. I think Kawhi would be a great fit there. I also think. If he wants to go to L.A., he's been rumored. The Clippers would be a great fit. The Clippers are kind of Brooklyn West or Brooklyn is Clippers East, but you know the team that's always kind of viewed as like the second-class citizen in this major city, but is far, far more competently run than its brother organization, which is why you know if I was Kevin Durant, which I'm not, um, I would much rather go to the Nets than the Knicks, which is what the rumor's been. I have no idea why Kevin Durant would want to go to the New York Knicks. Um, People, go ahead. Players have just, I mean... Players have never really taken a chance on the Nets. Despite them being in a big market, they've never really signed a big free agent. So it's really a matter of who wants to be that pioneer, who wants to be that first guy to to open the door in Brooklyn and and give them a chance. You know, I think that a lot of people kind of, you know, drink the Kool-Aid of of MSG and, and, you know, the bright lights there. But, you know, it's obvious who the better team in New York is right now. Yeah, yeah, and – um. I get it from what Durant's thinking might be is he's won these titles in Golden State, but he has been kept out of the conversation of kind of best player in the world because he's playing alongside Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond. And if he goes to the Knicks and, you know, brings that organization back to prominence, he's a hero and a legend and all that, which is great. But just the Knicks are very incompetently run. And just if he comes in, they're going to have to gut their roster to, you know, they've already gutted their roster to create space for him and one of their max guy. If he goes to the Nets, there's a roster ready built to play around Kevin Durant right now. They have a great point guard. They have a great, a couple great wing players in Harrison Levert. They have a great young center in Jared Allen. That team is built to slot Kevin Durant in, and they'll defend like hell around him. They'll move the ball. He can be the guy, but still actually have help around him. That makes way more sense to me than the Knicks does for Kevin Durant. But I'm not Kevin Durant. Um, if I was, maybe he would still be playing in Oklahoma City. So, I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So speaking of Karis Levert, who I just mentioned there, he was kind of thought of as the rising star for the Nets going into the season before that big injury that uh, happened in November, I believe it was. And the worry first was he was going to be gone for the season. He has come back. He's played, I think, the last 13 or 14 games. How has he looked since his return? Ben, he, he looks good in terms of how he's moving, how he's getting to the hole, things like that. But, you know, he doesn't have his rhythm yet. He doesn't have his footing under him just quite yet in terms of his jump shooting. Um, 
so I mean, there's good signs in the fact that that in the sense that he's he's at least at least moving right, you know, after that gruesome injury, and just him being back in general seems like a miracle. But um, he's he's really just he's just a touch away from from finding finding his rhythm again. And and look, you know, talking with people on the inside, they 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 weren't sure if he was he was going to be back to form until next season. Um, they kind of. On the optimistic side, they said with his heart, his passion, his work ethic, you know, maybe by the playoffs. But, you know, the inconsistency right now from him is is, is just to be expected after an injury like that. Yeah, absolutely. He's coming back from a very major injury. I mean, Paul George right now is coming back from a very minor injury to his shoulder. But he already, he doesn't even look right, and he only missed three to four games. I mean, uh, Levert missed three months. Um, so, of course, it's going to take him a while to find his rhythm back. But he is a very talented young player who I liked a lot coming into the season and I think yeah the rest of the season like it's awesome the Nets are gonna make the playoffs but they're not gonna go to the championship or anything so they they have the luxury of being able to bring Levert back in get him back in rhythm and the goal is just that he's 100% next October for that season so Levert was injured when the Thunder and the Nets played um, earlier this season which was a crazy game the other guy on the Nets roster who did not play in that game because he was just out of the rotation is now their starting uh, power forward, Rodion Karuks. I think I said that right. Um, how? What? Tell me about his season. This is a guy who, like, you know, I think even people who follow the NBA pretty closely knew very little about, and suddenly he's starting for a team that's going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. So I actually just wrote a piece on him, and and Karuks's journey is just what a, I mean, what a story. You know, he he didn't really play these last three seasons prior to getting drafted with the Nets because he was with Barcelona and Barcelona. Um, they didn't want to showcase him. They didn't want him to, to join the NBA. They actually didn't let scouts come to the games. Um, he really, he really didn't play at all. So he came over here, the Nets grabbed him with the 40th pick in the second round. And, you know, this season just, you know, everybody thought that he was going to be down with the Long Island Nets in the G league. And, and he just, he played one game and, and you could tell this kid just had something to him. Um, and, and as he got more minutes, as he got more time, you know, you started seeing something that the Nets didn't have. And that's this, this toughness, this tenacity, somebody kind of like an Andre Karolinko, that's, you know, going to chase after the 50, 50 balls, cover the, the other team's best player. And, you know, he, he, he came in and he's making an impact, you know, they were eight and 18 and then they, they threw him in the starting lineup and they went on a seven game win streak. So, you know, they took him back out. They just reinserted him back in three games ago, four games ago, and now they're on a four-game win streak. So they're 22 and 11 with him in the lineup, and and you know you look at a game like last night, arguably their biggest of the season against the Detroit Pistons, who they were tied with for the sixth seed. And Karuks comes in, he scores 16 points, grabs three steals, and and hold. He has the assignment on Blake Griffin, and he holds him to one of 10 shooting with four turnovers. So you know he's just. He's like the hidden gem that that nobody knew about, the second round pick that nobody knew about. A great story, and and again, he's only 21 years old. Like he, it's it's it just goes with the script of, of Sean Marks and, and these hidden gems that he keeps finding. You know, a Karooks or a, a Joe Harris, a Spencer Dinwiddie, and obviously you can get into the first round picks that he's had too with Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. So um, Karooks has been one heck of a story, and like I said, he just he changes the whole dynamic of how they play defense and just how they want to play on offense too, pace and space and stretching the ball. 
Yeah, he's an incredible defender, and he does have much more, you know, a limited offensive game, but so much more of an offensive game than Rondé Hollis Jefferson, whose spot he kind of took in the rotation did. Um, so I'm very anxious to see, again, he played exactly zero minutes the last time these two teams play each other. I'm interested to see how this matchup looks. Do you think they'll start with him on Paul George, even though he's technically the power forward, and try to stick Joe Harris on Jeremiah Grant? Yeah, I think that would make more sense for them, but I'm not exactly sure what Kenny's going to do because Kenny Atkinson, you know, when it comes to superstars, it seems like he kind of he likes to throw different looks at him. And uh, we haven't seen much of Rondé Hollis Jefferson this season because of the issues that he's had, not having a stretch four where Rodion's Crooks has filled that void. But, you know, we may see more of Rondé on Paul George tomorrow. Um, uh, may, maybe some looks with Karooks too. But, I, you know, again, with Kenny, it's very unpredictable because he likes to throw, again, a lot of different looks at these superstar players. Ron, I've always been a fan of Rondé, partly because he reminds me a little bit of Andre Roberson as a guy who's like a great defensive player and has just no outside shot at all. And the Thunder have been able to find ways to make Roberson before he was, you know, he's missed this entire season with injury. But when Roberson was part of the rotation, they were able to figure out ways to uh, keep him involved on offense, even without the lack of a three ball. But at a certain point, no matter how good your game plan is offensively and how good you coach, defenses realize this guy can't shoot. We can just abandon him. Um, and the Thunder have functioned. You know, I, I think they would be a better team if Roberson was healthy, but they have functioned better on offense and covered mo- almost as good defensively with Terrence Ferguson taking a spot in the starting lineup because Ferguson can actually shoot threes and do a little bit more off the dribble and things like that. It's just helpful to have a guy who can actually do something on offense and still bring that same level of defense. And so I guess we've started, we've moved now from talking about the Nets as a whole into this specific matchup. So let's just keep rolling with that. Where do you see the Nets' biggest kind of advantage and disadvantage when they're on offense going against this Thunder defense? What's, where are they going to try to score and how are they going to try to do it? Well, you know the Nets are going to shoot more than 43 pointers a night, or at least they're uh, trying to. Every single night, they're looking to spread that ball and, and, and spread the Bombs floor. away, yep. And uh, just really, yeah, just just bomb away. And, you know, they, they preach a downhill approach, and it's, it's interesting because the personnel is so different. And this is where I feel like the Nets do have an advantage is that you know, they are a pretty deep team, you know, and, and they have guys that have a different skill set. You have a guy like D'Angelo Russell who is more of a mid-range threat, and then you have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who is more of a, you know, downhill type of player, get to the hole and then, you know, clamp in the paint and, and settle for the threes and help help spread the ball. So I think, you know, they're going to try and run on the Thunder. They're going to try and shoot a lot of threes. They're going to try and use, you know, their, their like I mentioned, their deep roster against them, but where the Thunder and most teams usually kill them, besides last night against the Pistons, surprisingly, was is the front court. You know, a guy like Steven Adams, a, a, a physical big that, that gets a lot of rebounds and just does the gritty things. You know, Jared Allen is a solid young player, but he's not there yet. In terms of strength especially, he has such a hard time with, with opposing bigs, especially the ones that are stronger than him. So, you know, Steven Adams is somebody that uh, – you know, I think I think tomorrow he's just going to absolutely dominate his matchup. And <clears throat> the Nets, you know, even coming off the bench is Ed Davis, who he's a great rebounder, good on defense. But, you know, he, he too, he kind of gets bullied around by by these physical bigs. So I think if 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 the Thunder continue to just attack the hole, you know, the Nets are going to have a hard time covering them. Um, they've incorporated zone, uh, zone defense every now and then mm-hmm. just at points to, to throw defense, to throw opposing teams off. But. 
again, you know, their defense has been so bad this year that I, I feel like just, you know, a team like the Thunder with so many weapons, it's a tough matchup, obviously. Yes, yeah, Steven Adams did very well in the offensive glass the last time these teams you know, it was a great three-row shooter, but it was awful in that game, which cost the Thunder some points in a game that they barely ended up winning. And when Adams was on defense, the Nets actually had a ton of success with dribble penetration um, to the point where they actually switched Jeremiah Grant at the very end of the game onto Allen instead of Adams just because he was quicker and switchable because Allen was coming up and setting screens on the ball handler, whether that's, you know, D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie or even Joe Harris. Um, and Adams was coming all the way up to the level of the screen, and they were just able to blow by him and get into the paint, and then that draws the help defense, and it set up a ton of threes. The Nets built a huge lead in that game. I believe they were up 20 points at one point before the Thunder had a big fourth-quarter comeback, and then Paul George was able to hit the first game-winner non-Gatorade commercial edition of his career to seal that one. But I think that's, again, an area where the where the Nets are going to be looking to attack and where the Thunder have to be strong is at that um, point of initial attack on dribble penetration, which is something they were very good at the start of the season when they were the best defense in the NBA, something they've slipped at since January when their defense fell from being very, very elite to kind of just above average. Their most recent game, which was a fantastic defensive performance against the Jazz on Monday night, they were fantastic at stopping that drill penetration. Adams was hedging just a little bit lower so that guys like Rudy Gobert couldn't slip behind him for easy dunks, but still high enough um, that he was able to step to the ball handler if the ball handler got around, got space off the screen. But more importantly, Westbrook, George, Terrence Ferguson, even Dennis Schreier just did a better job staying attached going around those screens. So guys like Donovan Mitchell, um, Royce O'Neal, and players like that just weren't able to get a ton of space off those screens. And so the Jazz ended up shooting a ton of threes, but they weren't good threes, right? Threes where you go around the screen, you get no space, you're frustrated, you end up just shooting a three because the shot clock's winding down, are the threes the Thunder like. The ones they don't like are the ones where the guards will be able to create dribble penetration, get into the lane, draw the help, and kick to a wide-open shooter. So either way, I think the Nuts are going to shoot 43s tonight, but is it these tough off-the-dribble shots by Russell and Dinwiddie with a hand in their face, or is it Harris, Karuks, um, even Damari Carroll getting wide-open looks from the corner and spraying it? That, I think, is what's going to be the biggest determinator um, for the Nets' offensive success and the Thunders' defensive success. Yeah, I mean, the Nets, they they live and die by that, that dribble penetration and kick, you know, kick around the perimeter, moving the ball like you mentioned. So uh, I, 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 it's not a matter of, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily nitpick and say, oh, D'Angelo Russell is going to have a big night. It's just with this team, it, it's so unpredictable because, you know, it's it's a matter of who's going to – it's not a matter of who's going to step up. It's just uh, can they come up with a defensive stop. So, I mean. Which which is, like, you know, something the Thunder have to be worried about. If they, you know, are up early on the starters, you know, and then but then Spencer Dinwiddie coming in for D'Angelo Russell or coming in at uh, the two guard and then playing together – isn't a downgrade. He's, you know, he's Spencer didn't, he's also really good. You can't rest for a second. And the Thunder have had problems with their bench unit all year. They're just a lottery level team when Paul George goes to the bench. Um, I think Dennis Schroeder has been very effective for them and he's weirdly been pretty decent at def. Let's not say decent. Dennis Schroeder has been very annoying to opposing teams on defense, which is kind of an asset. Like he likes like occasionally pick up guys full court and just get in their jerseys. Now some of the best guards in the league are still going to burn him. But at least when he comes into the game, he does bring energy. When his shot's falling, as it was against the Jazz on Monday, they look great. When it's not falling, you know, when he shoots one of nine, then you're getting nothing out of the second unit. 
which is why the Thunder have gone to completely staggering Russell Westbrook and Paul George so that they always have one of them on the floor. And that approach has kind of worked. Their, their best lineup without PG is when Westbrook and Schroeder play together and they slide Terrence Ferguson down to the three. But that lineup is not as good offensively or defensively, and the Nets are bringing legitimate good NBA players off the bench. Um, Dinwiddie, Ed Davis is a fine backup center. Damari Carroll's actually coming off the bench, and that's a guy who just probably isn't worth... Oh, that's right, he's actually out. I take that back, excuse me. Alan Crabb's going to play, though, right? Alan Crabb's been starting, but yeah, their they're bench, I mean, they'll, they'll find guys. You know, they're, they're, they're deep. They have a couple guys, I mean, even like Shabazz Napier, somebody that can make an impact who's out of the rotation but could just be entered in any any time. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that Carol was out for this one. Do forgive me, folks. But so let's and then flip it the um, the other way when the when the Thunder are on offense without Paul George, it's just where are the shots going to come from, right? Because I don't think you know. I do like Karuks. I think Paul George, if he's on, is going to be able to go for another big game. Maybe not forty-seven like he did last time, but I think he'll be able to do pretty well against this defense. Um, but lately, coming back from the shoulder injury, the three ball hasn't been there, and what he's been mostly focused on has been getting inside and drawing three throws, which he was very effective at against the Trailblazers last week. Not so good against the Jazz. This was kind of that Jazz one was kind of the first game that the Thunder won all season, in spite of Paul George not because of him. So, which Paul George shows up is going to be huge for them. And if Paul George isn't on, then it's like how effective is West are Westbrook and Schroeder in that pick and roll? Are they able to put a ton of pressure on Jared Allen and get Steven Adams good looks inside or do they end up settling for these kind of tough mid-range jumpers that they both can fall in love with a little bit um and yeah I think as far as offense goes for the Thunder if PG's not on it's where are they going to find good shots from because the Jets Jesus the Nets do have very good defenders um up and down the roster like I know Russell is more thought of an offensive guy and he's probably maybe the weakest link defensively but then when he's a fine defender Levert was a very good defender pre-injury I think as Looked fine on that, and obviously Karuks we've talked about plenty about. And Allen can even give them problems as a rim protector. Steven Adams is strong with him for getting those offensive rebounds, but Allen is like, if you get into the lane, you know, he is a springy guy who can block shots. Yeah, Jared Allen's role on defense is very interesting because Kenny Atkinson has him kind of, you know, keep an eye on his man, but he, he lets him wander the paint and then... And be the help man when yeah. you know, yeah. does and, you know, like, and that's why he's getting all these big blocks this year. When you, when they played the Thunder, when they played the Pistons in that game on Sunday, because, you know, Adams and uh, and Andre Drummond are not guys who can shoot the three-pointer. Allen plays just way, way off of them to kind of put out fires elsewhere. And then he's fast enough that he can tag back quickly if those guys cut in or something. But he's willing to play so far off of them, and then he's in the right spot when you create that drill penetration that he's right there to turn the shots. And Westbrook and Schroeder aren't great three-point shooters off the bounce. So, if, you know, you have Steven Adams come and set the screen because Allen's so far away from him, so they're going to have a ton of space. The Nets are still going to be perfectly happy with Westbrook shooting a three-pointer off the dribble. It's when he, But then if he goes in to drive with all that space, Allen is there waiting for him, and it's who wins that matchup. Is it Westbrook with a head of steam? Is he able to, even as he's going fast, have the finesse to finish with touch around the rim, or is Allen able to get the best of him there? Right, and I think I think you mentioned before that you know the guards sometimes for OKC they they fall in love with the mid range shots, and Kenny Atkinson would be the first person to tell you you know he, he he'll give up 100 mid range shots a game, you know that that's they they take such an analytical approach to this both offensively and defensively obviously, and and you know they'll they'll take mid range jump shots. So I think that Russ off the dribble for three, Russ off the dribble in mid range, you know they'll take it. Like it's just the way they want to play. 
Agreed, they're a smart team, and the Thunder have been goaded in certain matchups by these smart defenses into taking those bad shots. So it really is just a matter of discipline. Uh, any other player who could be kind of like an X-Factor in this matchup that we haven't already covered? We mentioned Karooks. You know, it's it's just, again, there's such a... It could be anyone with this team. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's any given night, you know, you know who is it going to be? You know, Joe Harris is that, that steady, consistent force that, you know, you, you know you're going to get 15 points from a night, two or three three-pointers. Um, you know, you know guys like, I mean, D'Angelo is D'Angelo. Spencer Dinwiddie is very consistent. Um, but, you know, the guy that I think is key for the Nets right now is Alan Crabb because, you know, if, if Alan Crabb's shots are going down, then D'Angelo Russell isn't going to get blitzed with a double team right. off the pick and roll and D'Angelo can just swing the ball to either Joe Harris or Alan Crabb. And if Crabb is on, like I mentioned, you know, it changes the whole dynamic of the offense. So, you know, again, it could really be anybody that goes off for them. But, you know, like I said, if Alan Crabb is hitting his threes, you know, this team is actually – very tough to stop. Yeah, I mean, that's what they gave him that big contract for, is he was shooting the three incredibly well in Portland, and he hasn't shot it as well as a net, but in the games when he's on, you know, if he is on, right, you're surrounding Russell and Jared Allen with Allen Crabb, Joe Harris, and Karooks, who can all hit the three. That's a really spaced right. floor. And the and the Thunder think, love to that, send a lot of you know, help defense because they love to blitz or at least hedge on those pick and rolls so someone else has to rotate, and that can lead to open threes. The Thunder are one of the best teams in the league with how fast and long they're at tagging in to help and then recovering to the shooter when the ball gets kicked out. But if they're a step slow or if, you know, they get back and those guys hit the shot in their face anyways because they're good shooters, the Nets are going to rack up points. So I I agree with Crab as an X factor. Any Honestly, the three ball is going to be the thing as it kind of always is with the Nets. And for the Thunder defensively, that's what it always is. How well are they? How good and effective are they at running guys off that three-point line? So let's wrap up with this. Um, the Nets and Thunder both are in the midst, both kind of need this game. They're both in the midst of fighting for playoff positioning, even though they're definitely going to make the playoffs. So the Nets, after that huge win against the Pistons, are sixth in the East right now. Who would you most like to face in the first round as the Brooklyn Nets if you're going to try to add to this already excellent season by getting a playoff series win under your belt? It's tough. You know, you look, you look at the East and, you know, I don't think you want to face – Philadelphia with the talent that they've added even though the Nets have mm-hmm. actually they actually have their number this season um, they've added more talent that's not a team you want to see um, the Raptors they've had a couple good games against them but you know they're just they're just not the same Raptors that we're used to especially with Marcus all there now I think ideally you know as tough as Indiana is especially on the defensive end with Oladipo out and and the lack of star power I think that's their best option and, and that's what it's looking like it's going to shape out to be if if things do stay the way they are. I think, yeah, like the Pacers have obviously outperformed expectations, even with Oladipo down. They do have some very good players. They're a strong defensive team. They're well coached. But if the other alternatives are these teams with, you know, multiple all-star superstar players, you got to hope for the Pacers, who the Thunder will also get to look at on Thursday night. So perhaps the Thunder will be seeing both participants in a first-round series this week. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on and previewing this game with us. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate it.